2: Welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Building Management Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. On this week's program, we're going to be speaking to George Keefe, the president and CEO of Global Encasement, about how old buildings can be repurposed and dangerous materials can be dealt with in ways that don't involve tearing the buildings down. Now, he says when we are quick to tear down older buildings, we fill our landfills with the materials and we cause further damage to the planet. And we'll talk to him about ways we can preserve and repurpose these buildings for years to come to help better protect the environment and the communities that these historic buildings live in. So that's going to be the first feature on this week's episode of the show. We're also going to talk to Kevin McInerney, market scale employee and building management thought leader. We'll get his thoughts on a recent discovery of 2,600 code violations at an apartment complex in Maryland, and we're going to talk about the Larger implications of that and what it could mean for building managers across the industry. And we'll ask some maybe big questions that are larger implications of that whole situation. So that's going to be the second feature on this week's show. But enough from me, enough rambling. Let's get to my conversation with George Keefe, President and CEO of Global Encasement, coming up next here on the Market Scale Building Management Podcast. Joining us now on the Market Skill Building Management Podcast is George Keefe. He's the president and CEO of Global Encasement Inc. George, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, sir.
3: Well Tyler, thanks for having me. I always appreciate coming on these programs and educating people on the things that we do out there.
2: Yeah, and so today uh, we're going to be educating people just on how we can do a better job protecting the planet when it comes to our approach towards older buildings. And I wanted just to start off by asking about that. What is the current attitude towards older buildings and how is that affecting uh, the overall health of the planet?
3: Well, the main thing is that a lot of these buildings can be restored pretty easily, but unfortunately we don't do it. And uh, people don't look beyond certain issues such as if the building has Asbestos or lead based paint or other environmental issues that cause problems, and they look at only one way uh, to deal with it. In other words, like to remove it and replace those materials can be very costly. Sometimes they can actually exceed the cost of the building. So, what happens is someone will find those issues in there and Instead of trying to deal with it in a practical manner, how we deal with it by sealing them in place, the buildings often get abandoned and/or demolished. And so, in the United States, there's what's called Brownsfield properties, and there's over 450,000 of those abandoned buildings that a lot of times they go back to the government then. And these are buildings that can be used and repurposed if understood how to deal with them. And they fall quickly into disrepair. In other words, like they're not being used, and then you'll have vandals come in. And then just over time, they start to really deteriorate badly. And if they do have the issues, as I mentioned, which a lot of them do, whether it's asbestos or lead-based paint, nobody really wants to pick them up. And so they end up just basically deteriorating to the point of not being used. Where they could be quickly restored by sealing in, whether it's asbestos, lead-based paint, or the solid polychlorinated biphenols, the PCBs, and then they could be repurposed for other things, which is what we're looking at. So, when you have a building that goes down like that and is in bad re- uh, repair, I needing mean, it, it hits a point that uh, no one is looking at it to to bring it back, and then. They basically just sit there and continue to contaminate the neighborhood or be demolished where they can be brought back, restored, and then repurposed. So what happens uh, also is that certain components with the building, such as like the roofing and uh, the the roofing that is torn off and, and put into a dump. And what happens with that is that the material that's removed has to be taken to the dump and stored for long periods of time to where then it turns into basically CO2 emissions that is causing uh, greenhouse gases, global warming, climate change. And so it's the same thing with the whole building. If the building's demolished, the same thing, we're generating a lot of waste that needs to be transported and disposed of. And again, these buildings and building components Can be restored instead of being removed and replaced.
2: Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point because. Uh, it sounds like it's a cycle, right? There's this attitude of, oh, okay, it's easier, cheaper, quicker just to replace all of this stuff rather than restoring it. And so because of that attitude, it just perpetuates a cycle where we're continually using more and more and more uh, resources and filling up the landfills more and more and more. And it sounds like uh, we're just kind of compounding the damage that we're doing at this point.
3: Right, where we could put a, a pretty quick stop to it and not using all those natural resources that it takes to either replace components of a building or the whole building itself. And then again, the, the big thing about generating waste, which is then in turn generating a lot of CO2 emissions that is continuing to contribute to global warming climate change. And this is basic science. So instead of removing components, and that's even hazardous materials such as asbestos, lead-based paint, the PCBs, You can simply manage them in place, and that's what our company does. We uh, manufacture and produce green coatings that are used in these situations. Uh, Instead of removal and replacement, you seal over them and safely seal them so they're not being um, released back into the environment. So it's a pretty quick, simple process, but a lot of times people aren't educated on that, and they don't realize that this is the best way to go again not generating that waste or unnecessarily using more natural resources to rebuild a building or to like use a a roof uh replace a roof and that sometimes in the life of a building can be uh replaced several times over and over again where instead of that you can just seal over it and uh again manage that in place restore that surface
2: and I think that there's a benefit beyond uh, just doing what's good for the planet and and you know reusing things. There's also a, a probably I, I would say a cultural benefit to keeping older buildings around and restoring those and keep preserving some of the history of particular locations. I know that something that you really enjoy is when you walk into an older building. Just being able to look around and see its potential of what it could be uh, next when it's repurposed as opposed to uh, just tearing it down and building something new in its place. There's also, I think, a little bit of culture and history that can be preserved through the methods that you're describing.
3: Oh, absolutely. And that is part of my passion of going in there and taking an old building that is no longer in use and turning that back into a, a usable structure and you know a lot of it like you say it it has history to it it's part of the community and sometimes they become an eyesore with just some simple methods of like coating it and sealing it in place and going beyond like normal paint that is going to break down uh and have to be redone within three to five years where with our coatings They can last for 20 years, and then it's a renewable surface. So to take those buildings and restore them and basically repurpose them for other things, and what we're finding is a lot of these buildings can be repurposed for newer technologies such as indoor agriculture. So that's exciting to me, too, that I'll go in and look at a building that somebody else is like thinking this is a horror, like it's, it's full with poisonous materials and it's a hazard and they don't want to touch it where those are the things that I I like doing best and being able to identify the property and then seeing what can be done with it after it is restored.
2: Right. And uh, do you view this as simply just a matter of Education, just that people haven't heard or don't know about uh, some of the methods that you're able to use, uh, you know. So um, they they just aren't aware of the fact that these buildings can be restored. Because I think people just hear asbestos and they think, "Oh no, you know, there's nothing we can do at this point." But what you're describing is really something that uh, maybe people haven't heard. So is this more a matter of education than anything?
3: It is. That's the main thing, and that's basically what I do: is I go out there and educate people that. You know, they don't have to remove and replace because remove and replace is so expensive, it just doesn't fit in. As I mentioned that sometimes it can exceed the cost of the whole building, you know? And then there's other factors involved. If you go in and try to remove or replace something and look at a simple roof, sometimes if you tear off a roof, you shut down that building. And the federal government has done studies showing that for every dollar they spend on a direct cost, There's another dollar spent on an indirect cost, such as downtime on the building, relocation fees for the people and the contents, And so all these things are factors, and people look at it and go, geez, if I try to remove this, it's just, it's too costly and we can't do it. And so, like I say, a lot of building owners will basically abandon the building and not looking at the other methods that we use. And. We safely seal in and manage hazardous materials all the time in our life. I use the simple example of electricity, that we have electricity all around us, and it's very safe. But if it's you know exposed, it can burn buildings down, electrocute people. But we deal with it safely. It's the same thing with you know the gasoline in our cars, fifteen twenty gallons of gasoline. And we literally strap strap the kids in and drive around on a bomb. But nobody looks that way because it's safely sealed in. And so that's the idea of using industrial protective coatings that are tested and approved to sealing over asbestos, lead based paints, and managing these, uh, what can be hazardous materials and are, if they're released into the environment, but safely handling them. And so education on these things is such a a big issue because if you only have one side of it, in other words, someone's coming in and saying, well, you have the asbestos or lead-based paint, you have to remove it. And there is no law that says you have to remove these materials unless there's a a demolition or a remodel where you're disturbing it. But the law says they want you to provide fiber-free, dust-free, clean air for your building occupants. And so it doesn't matter how you do that. And ideally, you want to do it with products that are going to be tested and approved for that, as well as going to hold up for the long term, being sustainable, and then also renewable. You don't want to, at any point, have to go back in there and remove it. So you want products that are renewable. In other words, with our green coatings, you put these materials over top of whatever surface it is and then seal that in, and at the end of the lifespan, which is typically at least 20 years on the exterior, and that's even on a roof, all you do is you put another coat over it at the end of that 20 years, and you have another 20 years to go. Basically, the products cross-link bond or adhere to themselves. So you can't get that from typical paints. And I'll give you a perfect example of this, Tyler, is that in roofing, sometimes we'll get crossover issues that the roofs are old and leaking and they've hit the end of their lifespan. And they also have asbestos in there. Sometimes that the asbestos is releasing. So one product can do it all where you go in and you seal on the roof, you restore it, you're stopping all the water leaks, and then you're instantly stopping the exposure of the asbestos or the release. A potential asbestos fibers. So all those things are the benefits that come with uh, proper education on how to deal with these situations.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I, th- it's it sounds like such important work. That you're doing and I really appreciate it because uh, it it helps on so many fronts but more than anything it helps leave a better planet than where we found it when we entered the world and I hope that that's what we're working towards and we're able to do and also just preserving uh, history and culture and everything along those lines so I think it's really important work that you're doing there at Global Encasement uh, and I really appreciate it so uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk to us a little bit more about that today.
3: Great, well thanks Kyle, I appreciate you having me on anytime we can answer questions for us for, for anybody out there uh, that's, that's part of what we do so again thanks for having me on and I'll look forward to uh, further conversations with you
2: All right. Thank you to George Keefe for joining the podcast today. I really appreciated his insight there on how we can repurpose older buildings and really save them from being torn down and really how that can help Affect the planet moving forward, uh, keep our landfills from being filled up with roofing materials and other things along those lines, and also help keep people safe. I really appreciated that conversation with him there. Coming up next is going to be our conversation with Kevin McInerney. He's a building management thought leader and market scale employee. And we're going to get his thoughts on a huge discovery of 2,600 code violations at an apartment complex in Maryland. So that is coming up next here on the Market Scale Building Management Podcast.
0: So I'm pleased to welcome Kevin McInerney. He's our building management contributor here at MarketScale, and he's on the podcast to give us a little more insight into apartment inspections. It's something that obviously is required by state law. It happens every several years, depending on what apartment you live in. You know, you've got to clear the apartment because there are codes that need to be met and your property manager has to make sure those codes are met met. Now, we're basing this off of a particular article, which is a very hyper-local story, but I think it's representative of a larger issue. And the article is from Bethesda Magazine, and it says nearly 2,600 housing code violations found at Enclave Apartments in new checks. And that just sounds like <laughs> a lot of violations. And I wanted to bring Kevin in the studio to give us a better look at what does this mean for the future of apartment inspections? Is there any way we could be doing this better? Is there any way we could be preventing these violations before they ever happen and hopefully saving property managers money and also saving people time and energy that they might have to spend relocating while their apartment is fixed up um, or while they solve these violation issues? So, Kevin, how are you doing today? Great to have you in the studio.
1: Daniel, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So,
0: Kevin, um, when I sent you the story and when you started digging into this topic, what were the first things that came to mind?
1: Well, I think the first things that came to mind for me were, you know, since I've been working in the building management publication and, and curating content for it, I, I see articles daily about smart houses. Yeah. You know, my brother, he, he's he got uh, an Alexa in his house. He has all of his lights synced up to it. And it's a really cool thing for him in his small apartment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these articles are about smart homes, which are kind of a step up from that. But this made me think of kind of a new topic that I've been trying to do some research on and find out more about. But smart apartment buildings, it's kind of a different concept on smart homes. It would be more for the city and more for the apartment managers to be able to analyze, you know, how well the apartment's going to hold up through the weather conditions. You know, I know here in Dallas you know when they do the inspections of these apartments 60% of it is the exterior of the building right so if there were sensors around this building that were synced up to some sort of platform that the apartment manager and in the city was able to access they'd be able to know you know possible conditions affecting the building you know oh there's a lot of hail there's there's a hole now because we have sensors inside and outside that building i think that's a concept that hasn't really been explored yet and, you know, the more I read this article, I just kept seeing that there were so many violations and and people were you know having to leave their homes. And and that's just I think that's just terrible.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the whole concept of smart blanks, right? Smart apartments in this case, because I think a lot of the issues we see in this article and just issues we see for. Uh, Apartment code compliance come down to lack of resources and come down to these long intervals between when you inspect things. So imagine a whole complex is a smart apartment complex. There are sensors indoors that are detecting you know, everything from temperature to uh, air quality and other simpler things like a smart refrigerator or your smart lights. Um, In that world, you could also have sensors indoors that are keeping an eye on things that are potential risks for code violations. So keeping an eye in dark areas for potential mold, having sensors maybe on the foundation of the apartment to detect, hey, there are some faults here in the foundation. We're going to have to have someone come in and fix this. Like I said, maybe having a sensor on the air quality so you can say, hey, there is something in the ducts that is spraying horrible asbestos into your apartment. You know what I mean? Like something like that, I think, is crucial and um, probably the future of what apartment complexes are going to look like. Because if we stick to the method we have now, which was. For example, these enclave apartments, they were last inspected three years ago, and that was consistent with county standards. But when you think about the changes that can happen to a complex in three years and the amount of time there where a resident could be living in an unsafe housing situation, it's actually pretty troubling. And you think, okay, there's technology already in place that could be fixing this. Why not? introduce it on a more ubiquitous level.
1: Yeah. I think the the time frame is definitely something that is is going to be troubling if we continue in this process of inspecting every so often. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes manpower, it takes time away from the resident, from the apartment manager, from the city. And these are all things that could be automated in the future. You know Maybe the the sensors are, are letting you know, okay, we need to do an inspection because things aren't hitting their mark, right. And then someone's sent to, to come out. Um, you know, I, I know that our fire inspection right now at my apartment complex, you know we were told we have a window of three days to you know, house our pets and make sure they're not running around, because within that three-day period, someone's going to come and check and test our fire alarms, which seems like something that could be done, you know, from, from a platform. Outside of the complex, right. you know, where they don't need to leave the fire department and come down and check and see that our our fire detectors are working.
0: Right. Or Or it doesn't have to be a three day period. If there was more technology assisting in the checking process, it could be, OK, we are going to check this between noon and three. Yeah. On this day, just make sure your animals are caged up then, or make sure everything's in order. So, you know, when the alarms go off, no one is freaked out.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, and it could be as as simple as knowing the average lifespan of a battery and saying, okay, we know that we changed all of the batteries today, and we know that these are going to last two years. So, you're set up on some sort of system that alerts them, like, okay, we only need to check 50 of the 500 apartments because we know that we changed the batteries this date, and it's all you know centralized on some sort of platform that sends out trigger alerts to the managers in the city and lets right. them know that there's a okay we're at a high percentage we need to go make sure that we check and and get these replaced right and i mean this technology isn't just in place to make living
0: situations better for the residents really i think they'd be there to save money for the property owners and that to a degree is is probably an even more proactive method because if you're saving money on the on the front end then you can devote more time as a property owner to putting that money into renovations into um, amenities into making the living experience more of an experience for your residents instead of always playing catch up and making sure that, okay, we got to make sure that this apartment doesn't have mold. Okay, well, you know, we have to empty these apartments because there's rampant mold and people can't be living in here while we renovate. Uh, Like, for example, back to these enclave apartments, the management just for these violations had to hire four new maintenance staffers to correct the violations, which is cool to see that obviously they're being proactive and they're not just saying, oh, you know, we'll get to this eventually. Like they want a better experience for uh, their residents. But when you think about it, that long three-year period now means that they have all of these violations to fix. Now they have to spend money on four new staffers, which probably aren't complaining about having a job, but imagine if they were spending that money on proactive technology that could let them know you know before it ever got this horrible that someone needs to come in and resolve the issue i feel like it would lift a lot of um stress off of people's shoulders
1: yeah you know i i definitely agree i i think that the the time and money could be spent earlier on to make sure that they're set up for success you know as the world is moving towards 5g these smart buildings and smart homes are becoming more and more accessible these people are going to be better off moving into a, a infrastructure that's already set up for success you know these cities are are moving towards you know self-driving cars mm-hmm. and you know we're worried about someone coming out and checking for mold where all of that could be automated at this point you know or at least it could be in the near future
0: no definitely and then i mean you tack on to all that if you allow things to get to the point where you have to relocate people that's a whole other hassle now. You're having to put people in hotels. You're probably having to pay for their housing and maybe in some cases meals. Um, You have to then take responsibility for moving these people while you fix the apartment. And that brings up all new liabilities. Imagine you move them and then they get mugged, right, or something, yeah. and then, then like, that that could be incentive for them to sue, and then that becomes a whole other battle that you don't want to have to deal with as a city or as a property manager. It's like, okay, you allowed this to get this bad, that sent me off to some bad part of town, then I got robbed, and now I'm going to sue you for being negligent, basically. It, it just, it all snowballs, and it's something that could totally be avoided by technology. Definitely. And, you know, I think part of the issue, though, is some of these complexes probably don't have the money to spend on giant IoT building management initiatives, which makes sense. And I think that's something that we should be looking at as cities, um, as governing bodies. Where can we allocate funds to help with these initiatives? Um, I think it also comes down to, yes, even if they are underfunded properties, they're still having to pay all that money in renovations and having to pay all that money in other ways that are more reactive. So I think if everyone gets on a more proactive page, we could see a future where low-end, high-end apartments, they all have some kind of technology that's helping automate the inspection process. It's just going to save everyone money. And I think that's probably the biggest motivator, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Honestly, the more we talked about that subject, I started thinking, you know, when you had said that people would have to be relocated and then you run the risk of, you know, liabilities based on their security level. And that's another thing that would come into these, you know, automated apartment complexes is you know, you're ensuring their security. You can have smart security systems True. for all of the apartment complexes. You know, exterior for the in indoor area for you know getting into their apartment itself, their windows, their their back doors. You know, these are all sensors that that could be you know automated or you know using some form of IoT that's keeping them safer and th- and that's going to give them more you know security within their their home right. and. and their life and their soul in their soul. And their right? soul. Yeah. yeah. Can, yeah. But, you know, they're going to be more willing to make that investment, you know, to pay a little bit more for, you know, that level of service mm-hmm. from, from the apartment. I, I know I would definitely be willing to invest my rent money that I, you know, I'm, I'm paying rent just like everyone, any, everyone else my yep. age, you know, I would hope that it's being thought of as, you know, an investment for them to make their complex better, and if you know smart security could be one of those ways and it's a, a s- small step in the right direction for automation and you know smart ac- apartment complexes definitely
0: yeah I mean just to wrap things up I think the more realistic forecast is we're gonna start seeing these kind of sensors and high-end apartments. Um, though IOT is becoming way more accessible like you said almost everyone's got some kind of smart home device whether that's an Alexa whether that is just some smart bulb that you've got linked up to an app I still think these large Larger, more sensor driven, inspection driven IoT pieces of tech will probably start out in your high-end apartments but as people see the value and as the technology continues to improve and get cheaper, which is great that things can improve and get cheaper at the same time, um, I think we will start to see it at least be a DIY solution where you can buy something yourself and install it and it helps assist in the mold inspection process hopefully then that becomes something built into the apartment itself. And then you are purchasing or excuse me, you are renting an apartment that has all these sensors built in to assist the property manager, to keep the residents safer, and just to save everyone some money. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining us in the studio, giving us your take on this. Always great chatting and I'm looking forward to getting you back in. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel.
2: Alright, Thank you to Kevin McInerney for joining the podcast today. And thank you to everyone who is a part of this episode. We certainly appreciate all of you who have listened to this show. We'll be back soon with another episode of the building management podcast, but to tide you over until the next episode releases, you should go check out the building management industry page on marketscale.com. If you go to Marketscale, click on industries, scroll down to building management and find it. There are more podcasts just like this, as well as written content and even some videos there for you to enjoy. So until the next episode comes out, Spend some time perusing around there, and I'm sure you're going to find something else just to hold you over until our next episode. Like I mentioned, we will be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Building Management Podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you for listening.